Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Weekly Word Podcast. I'm Chris Hout, AIM Coach, and this is episode 64. And what are we going to talk about this week on the Weekly Word Podcast? Well, one of the things I do want to talk about is what this podcast is truly about. And that is where we dive deeply into ultra-endurance topics. Sure, we can say it's designed to help you reach your ultra-endurance best, but that wasn't really the intention when I started out. When I started out, it was to go long form on what athletes need to do in order to achieve their ultra-endurance goals, adventures, expeditions, things that excite them. And it started out as primarily for my athletes, the ones I coach, because a lot of the topics and things I was discussing, I was telling people in one bubble, and then people in another bubble would ask, and I kept repeating a lot of the topics, questions, insights, and so on that I get. Well, the podcast was a great way to sort of explain a lot of my training, explain where I'm coming from, explain the training phase many of us are in, explain the nutrition, explain the hydration, the strategy, the pacing, the mindset, all those things. And so a lot of this applies to any type of ultra-endurance athlete, whether you're going on ultra-endurance runs, um, doing ultra-endurance multi-sport, whether you're doing ultra-endurance solo events. Um, there's so many out there and there's so many different types of adventures in the meantime that it's not limited to the classic form of what we know with regards to running, biking, swimming, whatever it is. Um, you know, In the meantime, <clears throat> there's ultra-endurance events out there that include running and a horse. There's solo sailing expeditions. There's solo fat tire and mountain bike expeditions. There's so many events. There's even the new FKT, you know, fastest known time, where sure you're running, but you're also hiking and walking for days and nights on end. That's all ultra endurance. And what I found is, is this, this area of sport, this area of activity is growing. And I wondered a lot why. And I think it truly is because we're looking to reach our potential. So many of us are curious as to what more we can achieve. And of course, the world of social media and so forth has blown this up too because you're seeing what others are able to do and you think, I can do that too. If that's the realm of possibility, why can't I do that? Now, of course, we need to be careful with a lot of that because as the latest publications and press will show you, <clears throat> as well as websites and so on, there's also some dangers in all this. And um, a lot of my athletes know this in, in my conversations with them is we're not looking for high altitude mountain running here where, yes, some of those adventures and expeditions and things that they're doing on these mountain peaks look super beautiful and exciting, but, you know, it is high altitude, it is extremely remote, and one wrong step or one broken or twisted ankle or something like that or bad weather, um, you need to be ready for mountaineering for, little, uh, for many of those things. So 
But anyway, the explosion of ultra endurance endeavors, I mean, whether it's the ultramans of the world, which are now numerous around the world to the expedition, I'm working with a couple of the guys that I was in Dubai for and them crossing the Arabian Peninsula to a variety of other things. I mean, there's so many different adventures out there that this world of ultra endurance has become more and more part of a bigger discussion. There's more people participating in it and more people curious as to what their human condition can achieve. And these days we have the means and the technology and so forth to get out there too. The clothing is better, the packs are lighter, the lights to run all night and hike all night and get to places is easier. The gearing on bikes and the technology and the GPS and the satellite phones and the spot uh, um, um, GPS uses and so forth means that you're always trackable, you're always in communication, and you can take on many adventures in all corners of the world. If you can dream it and you can believe in it and train for it, you can achieve it. That's basically an ultra endurance type of mindset. But also many of you know that this podcast is about that, what I just said, mindset in the ultra endurance world. And it comes from a lot of athletics and sports that I've done in the past, but I've worked with a lot of athletes on and been around a lot of um, other coaches and athletes um, with because of, you know, a couple of Olympics and a variety of years in triathlon, as well as being around some very special athletes over many, many years. In the meantime, I would say three decades. Oh my gosh. Yes, it's been a while. And what I mean by that, by that mindset, and a lot of peers and coaches and sports psychologists and experts, I am mostly interested in the delta between what somebody really, really successful, a Michael Phelps, a Craig Alexander in the triathlon world, a Meb Kaflisi in the running world. Um, just as a few examples, we can use, um, you know, Chrissy Wellington for, for women. We can use plenty of uh, female athletes as well. But my point is, what would those minds, what would those brains, what would those heads swapped onto your body do with your body? And that's what I sort of define as reaching your potential. Because if it's just somebody else's head and just somebody else's mindset and just somebody else's confidence and belief system, what they can do with your body, your DNA, your genetics, your history, your current lifestyle, your background, that is the delta that I am trying to reduce and improve by what we're talking about here. That's the overall arching theme. That's the overall arching theme in a lot of my coaching. Now, of course, part of my coaching that I talk about is pushing you to the boundaries of what you think is possible, having a little bit of that fear of the unknown and blowing through that and hitting sort of a new level of normal and then going through a systematic approach coaching in order to achieve those goals, in order to achieve that potential. That's the coaching side. But a lot of that on the bigger scale is achieving your potential is seeing what that delta is between you and somebody who took your body and achieved more with it and how we can close that gap. 
or not even necessarily how we can close that gap, but some things we could do and apply and train and think about in order to close that gap better. And the beauty of that is that I learn a ton about this also. I mean, something I was reading or or listening to today, I'm not sure I remember, but the beauty of all this is even if nobody is listening to this podcast, the fact that I'm able to walk through all this and put it into words and think about it and discuss it out loud, it allows the process of growth and understanding in this ultra-endurance world to just increase, which makes me a better coach, which adds value, and I get a ton out of this podcast too. So many of you have responded and talked and created discussion and sent me emails around the podcast, and I'm very grateful and thankful and appreciative of all of you listening. And I don't have any sponsors. I don't look for any money with regards to this. I just enjoy the discussion. But understand that I get something great out of this too, and that is capturing thoughts, capturing theories, capturing curiosity, capturing discussion, capturing other questions, no matter what and crazy as interesting or uninteresting or as boring as or as fascinating as they may be. I love getting the questions because A, shows me what you're interested in, and B, a lot of them I don't have answers for. And it allows me to dive into some, not research, but some reading and some follow-up and understanding some of these topics better. I mean, a lot of you have asked over the years, well, how do you know how to coach some of these ultra-endurance adventures? A, you haven't done them yourself, correct? And B, I don't have an exercise physiology degree, no. I would like to say I'm well-versed in exercise physiology because I've done a lot of reading and studying and testing and work in it, and I've been in it, as you've heard, for three decades now. But also part of that growth is that I'm learning with all of you, with all my athletes, with the, I mean, I tried to quantify it the other day, but I'm actually going to have my daughter, (laughs) my 12-year-old daughter as of next week, um, as a summer job, go through all my old emails and get the number of athletes I've coached over the years. Sorry, that was a little side note there. But I don't know how many athletes I've coached over the years. I mean, you got to figure it's a couple thousand. Um, and so all that data and all those insights and all those logs and all those training peaks inputs um, have added up to where I'd like to say I understand things pretty well. But again, that doesn't make me an expert in the field or uh, give me the knowledge on how to train somebody, for example, for 550Ks um, in five days on five Hawaiian islands. But I do know the concepts of adaptation and rest and recovery and building volume and wanting to keep you healthy and nutrition and hydration and then mindset. The mindset piece is incredibly important. And so if we keep that in mind and um, what my desired outcome is with this podcast, it's to help all of you achieve that potential, to blow through that potential, and then also help you maximize your current potential 
by reducing that delta, that difference to what you might believe. And that's the cool thing is we are human beings. We have this eternal belief that we can achieve more. And that's because I think we know deep down inside that somebody else's head on our body could potentially, most likely, in all certainty in some cases, pull more out of us. And that's the curiosity that is what this all is about in the ultra endurance world, in my opinion, to discover externally, physically what we're capable of, but also internally on regarding reaching potential and growth and understanding and confidence. So that's the weekly word podcast on this week. So what topics are we going to talk about this week? All righty. So what are we going to talk about this week? Well, back on the podcast, not a returnee, but the same format is me talking to Peter Yurt. And Peter is my athlete who just finished the 550Ks in five days on five Hawaiian islands. And so again, an opportunity to talk to one of my athletes to hear his input, his journey, his story, his adventure, his training, his mindset, his approach. And I really think that based off the feedback off the first podcast, a lot of you really enjoyed that. And I wanted to bring him into it right away off the momentum of Tommy's podcast because that was just real solid, fun information. And while I have him, and while I have the topic, and while it's fresh in the athlete's mind, I would love to find that opportunity to record a podcast. I have another athlete doing his first um, of the four desert races later next month, so I'll probably work pretty hard to get him on the podcast right after that. His first one will be in Namibia which is um, going to be a great five, six, seven, seven-day challenge um, of the four deserts and very similar to like a Marathon de Sable, very similar distances, very similar approach, fully unsupported through the desert. So, But I'll go into more detail on that. But first off, here's Peter on a uh, download, on a discussion. And, you know, in, just so that you know, I don't prep for these interviews, so whether he has a lot to talk about or a little to talk about, I just sort of roll with it and give him the opportunity to sort of share his experience. And that's half the fun with this. And then afterwards, I'll talk a little bit about surprising yourself with your first event of training or focus in the ultra endurance world. And it's based off of emails and inputs I get with regards to athletes that for the first time, they're sort of timid into what they're stepping into. And if they're going to talk to me, um, as in work with me, talk to me about their training, I'm always going to challenge you into something greater, something bigger, something scary, something that raises the ceiling of your potential and raises the ceiling of your belief. And that right there is a podcast that I want to record as well on talking about that, raising the ceiling of your belief. Um, and that that belief understanding that we currently have of ourselves and how if you expand belief and you expand that aspect of how you approach things, um, there's a whole new realm of who you are and your best self available. But anyway, as you all know, 
I don't want to get too carried away. So that's the final topic of the week. Maybe some tidbits here and there, but enjoy the podcast. And thank you so much, as always, for listening. All right, Peter. Well, welcome to the podcast. And, um, you know, the second ultra endurance event finisher in like the last two, three weeks. So this is starting to become pretty fun of having you guys on the podcast first, Tommy, now you with these new adventures that you're taking on and sort of the things you've learned and the the training you did and sort of how you went about it. I mean, this is uh, this is truly what ultra endurance training and events and adventures and curiosity and potential is. So um, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. So um, let's talk a little bit first about what the event even was before we sort of go into the background of what it, what the training looked like, how you lived on the island for a little while. I think that's a fascinating story and um, sort of just how you heard about the event. What is the event and how did you hear about it? Okay, so the event is called Epic Five and uh it's it was the inaugural running that they did uh in the years previous uh an ironman version of it so this was the inaugural uh run and uh so it's five days on five hawaiian islands 50k a day and uh yeah ended up being a little more than 50 each day but <laughs> close enough <laughs> that's awesome right there <laughs> that, that you get to the on your watch or whatever and it's like oh well actually you need to run another 2k to get to the um logistical easier spot to to move you to the next island because that's the challenge right five hawaiian islands you guys needed to be done at a certain time to get you guys your gear um and and the logistics and support back to the other island to where you're staying for the night in order to then get up early in the morning in order to then do the next 50k yeah, that's right. So usually uh, we had eight hours. Most days, last day we had 10 hours. And uh, so it was running and then straight to the airport. And then uh, getting up at around 3 a.m., you know, eating, doing some stretches, and then hitting the road again and running right. another 50. And running another 50 and another 50. Was there a little bit like Groundhog Day in it? Or was it just because of the different terrain and environment and such? Did it feel new each day? It felt definitely knew each day it was uh every day you know every island had its own vibe every uh even like the flights between islands uh, that was an amazing part of it just being on these little you know mud skipper planes that you could really see the uh you could really see the islands and the beaches and cliffs and i don't know the whole thing was cool but yeah every day was definitely very unique yeah and so then you finish your 50k and you had the cutoff time you're done by two every day yeah that's right so 6 a.m. to 2 p.m., right? Yeah. Right on. So you have eight hours to run a 50K, so a little bit over 30 miles. And um, going by the logistics that you sent me, where we looked at the terrain and we looked at the footing and we looked at the altitude gain and stuff like that, you were running on sand, you're running on pavement, you're running on dirt, you're running in the jungle, you're running exposed, you're running on like open roads completely in the sun other times completely in a rainforest right exactly sometimes you, uh in, in uh in molokai we actually got lost and we were running as a group uh with about eight runners we were all running as a group because we got lost so we figured might as well stick together and then uh we had this interesting place it was kind of this ranch vibe we saw these you know dead 
deer skulls on the side of the road and I kept getting these massive thorns puncturing the bottom of my shoe right right into my foot I had to pick about six of them out so every day definitely you know presented some unique challenges <laughs> but you made <laughs> you made the cut off each day we we sort of texted or emailed a bit each day um, that yep. you're in things were good and then we focused on the next day. So that was sort of the event, and it's the first ever. So it started as Epic Five, and I think Rich Roll did the first one. Him and a buddy, Jason, came up with the idea, I think it was, with regards to an Ironman on each Hawaiian island for five days in a row, right? Yeah, that's right, and that's how I found out about it. I was actually uh, uh, really out of shape at the time uh, before I started running, and... Uh, I was just, I was reading, you know, I had a copy of uh, Finding Ultra and I just, you know, randomly picked it up, started reading it. And for some reason, I decided to Google Epic Five. And when I did, I saw that there was, they were doing the inaugural run. Yeah. And I had thought previously that it, that event would be super cool if it was done just as a run because I don't really cycle or swim. And uh, so I'm like, well, I got to do it. So, uh, and I found you because of the book. I didn't, I had no idea. I didn't know any coaches. So I Googled a couple, sent some emails out. And then when I talked to you, I just decided, you know, let's do it. Right on. And if any, you know, if anyone's going to get me there, I, I think if this guy thinks he can train me from being, you know, from zero to this, then, uh, then I, I have a shot at doing it. Right on. Right on. Well, that's sort of my mantra for everybody. Like, let's find out. And I think we'll learn a ton along the way, along that journey. And right. I'm pretty confident that most anybody can do almost anything when it comes to these defined events. Um, of course, there's some things that are a little bit um, off the, the chart and grid, but the, the, the only thing that creates expectations is usually time cutoffs, placing, or, or you know where you have certain performance outcomes. That's where things then get a little bit complicated, but being able to take on an ultra adventure, which what this is truly was for you, um, is something where it's just like, you know what, let's find out. Let's see what you're capable of in training, where we did some f different stuff for you. And nothing that's unfamiliar to me with regards to uh, ultra running and 100 mile runs and 200 mile runs. But, you know, a 50k every day for five days is a little bit different prep. And we we use that to our advantage. So let's first go a little bit back to what's your background? Like, so you're not a runner. Okay. So in high school, I did do some cross country and, uh, in the early, when was it? Uh, in the early part of the decade. So 2011 and 12, I ran, uh, my first two marathons and my last two ever, because <laughs> after this, after the 2012 one, I injured my knee and then I'm just like, well, I got to give running up. That's no, no good. Yeah, you know, uh, so yeah, so I, I honestly, I thought I'd never run again. I did do, I think, uh, a few years ago, one of those fun runs, like a mud, a mud race. Yeah. Oh, so one right. of those obstacle course races. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, so then we started running, and you're you're from Canada, right? Yeah, from Ontario, Canada. Yeah. So um, at the time, I think the way I understand it, you were bartending. Um, That's and, right. and, um, it's, it wasn't winter yet. It wasn't that bad yet, but we just started running and, yeah, uh, May. yeah. Yeah. So it, the weather was nice. It was, yeah. yeah. And what, what, yeah. wait, May of 20, 
17, yeah. So uh, uh, we had like 10 months, right? That's right. Yeah. So we dove right in. I mean, there was no messing around. We built that up pretty quickly. And of course, luckily, your body held up. I mean, that that is the nice thing. You didn't have too many niggles um, and tweaks. You did have a little bit something here and there, but nothing major. Right. And then, um, so we built up the volume. You had never done um, anything more than a marathon in many years, let alone, you know, a 50K or 31 miles five days in a row. And then you moved to Hawaii. Well, first you moved to the East Coast, uh, West Coast of uh, in like Seattle or Vancouver, right? No, I didn't end up doing that. I just skipped all that and went right to Hawaii. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and so you were on a limited budget and yeah. you lived on the beach in Hawaii, right? That's right. Yeah. And um, no real internet, no real food. Um, it's not like you had a fridge on the beach in Hawaii. It's not like you were in a a trailer or a camper you were in a tent that's right and in you're yeah and so you're cooking ahead. every day and you're doing your own thing and as we we're doing the logistics of that early on you were talking to me about and i had a hard time understanding this on a few emails if you recall and that I do. You, it took you you know you had to walk or hike or run 10 miles or two hours into town every day in order to get groceries check the internet, um, do some general life stuff that we all have to do. Am, am I getting that correct? Okay, so yeah, that's what I thought was going to happen. But yeah. It, okay, because I kind of planned it out, um, you know, I didn't really know what I was doing, but I just Googled it and Google mapped it and kind of, you know, checked out the route and the walking distance. But when I arrived, I some of the locals kind of shared, you know, some information like shortcuts and I could do this hill hike that cut off a lot of the, you know, the distance to the beach and to town. And then also I didn't realize that hitchhiking would be so prevalent and easy. And that helped a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And then there was the, the, the last piece of logistics besides that, which is already plenty. I mean, you know, what you're cooking, how you're sleeping, you had to get used to that life on the beach, laundry, all this. I mean, you live it. What? Chickens, chickens, <laughs> snakes, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Well, besides all that, which is already crazy, is um, you have to move campsites every few days because you're not allowed to uh, inhabit the beach for too long, right? Yeah, that's right. So once a week, they uh, close the beach down for maintenance, <laughs> kick everyone out, and uh, then I had to boogie over to uh, to another campground. All right. And so would you do that one night and then go back to the same spot just because you were good with the logistics and familiar with the area? Or did you actually switch locations for many days? Oh, no, I switched for many days. I okay. love because I loved both areas and both had uh, unique uh, trails to train and, uh, had, you know, both had their kind of pros and cons. So I really I really kind of made friends on uh, on the one far end. There was a lot of regular uh, locals that live there on the mm -hmm. beach. So I I really like those guys, so I'd chill over there, and then that was at Hyena Beach Park, and then at Anini was closer to the town, so that was easier in that regard to kind of, you know, fuel up and go use the, uh, I used their library, you know, get some books, get some uh, internet time there. So, so nice, nice, uh, nice restrooms in the uh, library as well, so. Yeah, nice. Good. Well, that's important when you're camping, although yeah. the restrooms and public access in Hawaii is quite remarkable. I mean, they really do take care of that and give you access, whether it's on the beaches 
or the people in general. I must say that it's a different spirit of community and care there than um, you would have at home, let alone here in California and stuff like that. Yeah, it's incredible. The people are super friendly and generous. It was, uh, yeah, it was a treat, especially you know having come from uh, Canada here. I left in January, so December we had an unusually cold month, and you know doing my five hour runs, I'd have to wrap my whole body up. I couldn't expose any skin. You know, I had ski goggles, and it was uh, it wasn't that much fun to be honest with you. So once I arrived in in this tropical environment, it was uh, it was perfect. That's awesome. And so let me go back to a point there. So you're living on the beach here. Um, and I would give you two runs a day quite often. So you get one run done in the morning, come back, chill out, read, meditate, um, hang out. What, what would you fill your days with? <laughs> uh, well, you know, I, uh, I did a lot of walking, just walking around the beach. Uh, and like you said, reading, meditating. Um, I, I had a neighbor who uh, who let me who let me use his paddleboard, so I go out kind of paddleboard on the reef a bit, do a little bit of swimming, and uh, just chilling. Yeah, right I, on. Yeah, I just, I just took it easy and just enjoyed. Uh, it was so, such a beautiful place, and I you know I've never spent a long period of time in a tropical climate, so I just really enjoy walking around and checking out the sights. Yeah, and everything takes longer um, when you're living uh, uh, off the land, not off the land, but in the land like that like making your breakfast isn't just a five minute thing it takes longer to prepare that and you have to think ahead and have everything ready and either prep it or the the camp stove and all that right that's right and you got to do your dishes right away make sure uh you know keep keep your area clean uh yeah i can't even imagine that in a tropical environment the the amount of bugs and interesting you know because you have all those feral cats and all that on the hawaiian islands so and they bring the mongoose with them and all that stuff like if you're not cleaning up right good morning half the zoo (laughs) you know it's mainly the chickens Kauai was actually uh there i don't think there's any mongoose on that island gotcha but uh, definitely uh, the chickens were uh they'll come and eat your food if you're not careful so (laughs) and also you're up at 3 a.m. because the, the roosters like to do a little warming up at 3 a.m. Oh, every geez. day. Oh. But you're also going See, to bed with the sunset, right? That's right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so I've never in my life uh, been in bed so early and up so early in such a consistent manner. It's pretty. Uh, it's an interesting adjustment for sure. Yeah, well, you were a bartender too. It's not like you went. You went from one extreme on the east coast to the other extreme on some western Hawaiian <laughs> island. Like, talk about. And then climate, environment, lifestyle, everything. I mean, that's pretty remarkable. Let me ask you this. The uh, the locals, when they would see you just start heading out for a five-hour run, they, they the ones that you made friends with or even all the others, you they must have just looked at you like you're some sort of freak. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's just it. <laughs> Nothing else to say about that? <laughs> Nothing else. Like, yep, they thought I was crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, good. a construction worker, and he's like, how many, like, he, because I kept doing this route, and I'd, I'd run by, and then, you know, maybe two hours later, I'd run by again, and then an hour later, he'd see me again, he's like, how how much are you running today? I'm like, I'm putting in about almost, uh, you know, what it was, probably like 26 miles, 27 miles. Yeah. He's like, oh, man. That's awesome. That's great. I love to hear these stories, and I know 
I keep asking these follow-up questions, but I, I just love to hear how people and how athletes, and especially my athletes, you know, th all the things they experience while they're doing this. I mean, we spend a lot of time out there. Those are a lot of hours. And so these are adventures. These are things we recognize. These are um, times we endure that we'll remember for the rest of our lives. They're so powerful. And I always like to hear to make sure that the athlete truly appreciates how special the experience is, the journey that you went on. So it's really nice to hear. Oh, yeah. It was, I, I would definitely put that up there as one of the best, uh, best couple of months of my life for sure. That's great. And so you got to the Hawaiian Islands six weeks before the event, seven weeks? Well, or was it a little bit more? Uh, yeah, about, about that, about seven weeks. Yeah. And so we were already pretty fit going into it, but then you scheduled a 50K, I think it was, late in January, was it? Yeah, January 20th in uh, the uh, Aloha Series yeah. uh, marathon. So they had a 50K, and it was just uh, on the beach in Kaba. It was like a, a one, one and a half mile loop. Oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> all, all in hard, uh, you know, kind of sidewalk along the, all, along the coast. And it, and it was interesting. Well, I was just going to say, because Hawaii has a pretty historically well-known um, endurance community, because they had one of the early, early 100 milers in the Hurt, Hurt 100, um, Hurt yeah. being Hawaii Ultra Runners and Trails Association or something like that. So that is an epically difficult, hard um, 100 miler with a lot of altitude gain, and keeping in mind that it's in January or late December, somewhere around there every year. I think it's in January. Um, and it's really difficult for a lot of mainlanders because we're used to winter. And then going into the heat and humidity and that type of difficult course, uh, it, it really is notorious for um, bringing out the best athletes as well as how difficult it is. So I'm surprised that you didn't somehow latch on to a couple of those guys. Yeah, those, are mo uh, those guys are mainly on Oahu. Yeah, the bigger one. Yeah, and there's a lot of great trails up on Oahu. Yes, uh, in fact, uh, that was my hardest day, day two. I, I, that was the most difficult for me because of the elevation gain, right? Yeah, yeah. and not only the elevation gain, but the the trail mark. Like, they didn't have time to mark the trail, so uh, the, I was a little worried that I would get lost up there in that maze, and so I had to keep up with the with the front runners. Uh, the the you know, the three or so that were leading the pack. And uh, so I had to push a lot harder than I wanted to on day two. Well, up that sounds like it worked out okay. So back to that 50K. So we did that 50K um, and then we followed up, which is a pretty normal theme in my coaching with another long run the next day. And I think we did a long run the day before the 50K to sort of simulate and stack your volume and mileage to give you a really good simulation of what 550Ks in a row would be. Well, yeah, we actually uh, we actually didn't do the day before because my knee was bothering me a little bit. So you said just take the day off. And then the day after you gave me, a, I think, a four-hour run. And that was probably the worst training run I've ever had. So nice and difficult, nice and mentally challenging. Yeah. <laughs> nice where you're cursing my name and just really... <laughs> Not enjoying the process. That's perfect. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it looks like, but we had a few simulate. I'm just looking at your training here. So you had a couple of uh, days where we did um, 
you know, two and a four and a three and a one all in a row and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. The, the three, five, three really stuck out to me is uh, that when I did uh, those in succession, I felt that was the first time I actually <laughs> felt really confident that I was going to be able to do this. Yeah, and that, but that we didn't do that until February, early in February. So we, we really were wanted to wait until pretty late until we started messing with 353, which I agree is a very good insight into the race. But our plan was just for the, all those listening with regards to the training was to, I'm seeing here the uh, Kappa 50K was on Saturday. So we were going to do a four hour run the day before. So 24 miles the day before then the 50k on saturday and then i had another 24 miles scheduled the next day so that would have been a 454 right and basically 20 uh, 24 30 and 24 miles respectively in three days in a row which again the purpose there being not only to simulate but to give you the confidence like you got from the 353 getting that uh what looks like uh three weeks earlier that's right. And actually that, that deflated me a little bit because I had such a hard time, but, uh, I think I, I think I could have recovered better after the 50 K. Yeah. Kind of my fault on that. And then, uh, then you made me do a, a fast 10 K yeah. you know, where you make me push after that. And that one was my worst 10 K ever. I think it took me over an hour. Yeah. That was on Monday right after, um, the four hour run the day after the 50k and again a lot of my ultra runners and a lot of my ultra endurance athletes know that part of my philosophy is on tired legs to get leg turnover going um it's not necessarily about the length of time but it is the leg turnover on after a couple of hard and longer days and hard only because of the distance and the time on the legs not because of the effort and so we had you do a, a 10K pretty fast, best effort, um, which is all relative, of course, based off of how tired you are and also your own running ability. But again, it's about efficiency and recruiting those really tired muscles and the support musculature involved with that is what the thought process is there. Your ability to turn the legs over and using support muscles to help those big muscles do the work when they don't want to anymore, when they're tired from the two, when the nine hours, 10 hours of running that you'd already done the two days before. So good on you for that. And we now know in hindsight that it worked pretty well. It did, yeah. I have one funny yeah, story I want to want to yeah. share with you. I think on maybe my third try, my third run on the island, I mean, you had me doing a hill, a hill training that day. And then at the end, you know, maybe it was like a 15-minute cool down. So I was running through Princeville, and this lady frantically pulls up beside me and, uh, you know, tells me to get off the road and get to shelter because uh, there's a missile strike happening. Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Oh, my gosh, you were there for that. (laughs) I was there for that. It it was in the middle of one of my trainings, or near the end of my run anyway. Oh, my gosh. That is, again, an experience you will never forget. Hopefully, you will never, ever, you know, (laughs) have to remember that moment like that again, that there's actually a missile um, uh, strike happening from North Korea at the time or whatever. We we didn't know what it was. Wow. That's fascinating. Wow. But you know, when I heard this and I'm like, I kind of brushed it off. I'm like, oh, whatever, this lady's crazy. Yeah. But, you know, when, and, what do you, how do you react when you hear that, you know? And, so, and, and also, I, what I, can you do, right? You're just out running. Like, where do you know how to grab shelter? And if, 
if that truly right. is imminent, what are you doing in your running shoes and clothes? <laughs> like, like, I hear you. Yeah, so I was like, yeah, well, I could go back to my tent or, uh, but I ended up just, I just kept running. I'm like, well, I'm going to finish my run, you know, if she's, what, what am I going to do at this point? But then a police officer drove by me about two minutes later and he said the same thing. And so I'm like, oh man, this is, I think this is serious. So I just knocked on some random guys, uh, you know, at his front door and said, hey, listen, I heard I'm supposed to seek shelter. There's some missile strike happening. And he's like, ah, we Googled that. My wife and I don't worry about it. I don't think it's going to happen. Just, you know. You're, you're all right. So I'm like, okay. So I just, I'm like, all right. Well, I, at this point, I don't know what to do. So I just I called my mom, left her a quick message just in case, and I uh, went and bought myself a six pack of beer. I'm like, well, if you know if this is happening, I'm going to enjoy it as much as I can. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what a weird circumstance, right? And like, if just think, we all walk out our door every day on some of these long training days, and so much can happen in the world around us, and what would you do, right? Like that's that's a great lesson and value for even just you having gone through that. That is crazy. That is just craziness. Well, I'm glad that didn't happen. I'm glad nothing on those days happened, but a pretty cool story. So let's yeah. jump into the event. So 550Ks, five islands, and um, you felt pretty solid on day one we heard that day two you struggled a bit, mm -hmm. bit but let, let's go through what you remember and how it felt so going into it how'd you feel you feel pretty prepared pretty excited pretty nervous mostly excited i was i was ready i was ready to go yeah yeah we rested you a, a fair amount for what you <laughs> i'm laughing because you know rest for some people is fine because then they're busy at work or they're busy with all their events at home and their life is so busy anyways that oftentimes when I have them rest for an event or taper, I need to get them to also chill out on all the other stuff. Rest right. for you, you're like, geez, now what do I do with the extra three, four, five hours a day? Well, luckily, the last uh, the last couple of days, I, I did I get an Airbnb and I uh, they had a pool and a hot tub, so I was I was okay. Oh, good, good. Yeah. <laughs> I I was writing the training plan, thinking, I hope he doesn't go stir crazy in that tent and sitting on the beach and his head just exploding of of either nervousness or what is it about to happen or bring, and logistics and it can it can wear on you. So then from the Airbnb, you head over to what island did you start on? Yeah, so we started on Kauai. Mm -hmm. Oh, so you, yeah, okay, so you were already right there. Yeah, and I knew the route already. I ran it a bunch. Not in, obviously the full, but I ran it in pieces, so I knew exactly what to expect. And uh, the hardest part, actually, was going to be uh, the trail going to the waterfall and back. Now, there had been a lot of rain the previous couple days, and the guys from the event, the organizers, they hiked it just to see what the trail conditions would be like. And they decided, thank God, that they were going to cut off two, the two miles from the beach to the waterfall because of the, uh, the rivers were very swollen and we couldn't cross them. <laughs> okay, cool. And so how'd you feel that first day? So wait, before we go into that logistics yeah. of the day before, is there a lot of nervousness? Is there a lot of craziness? What are the other athletes like? I mean, you seem to me like they seemed all pretty nice and you guys were super supportive. You said you had a nutritionist there. You had yeah. all kinds of, tell us a little bit about that. Okay. So we got, we, we all met up the day before for lunch 
and you know went through everything and yeah everyone everyone there was super cool uh like you said really supportive everyone's there like this run the whole spirit of the run is uh kind of going back to the original days of ultra running where it's just about a bunch of crazy people getting together and running for you know this the love of running and, yeah uh, and adventure of it Right on. So that, that, yeah, that was the attitude of everyone. They were just there to have a good time. And, you know, we weren't competing with each other. We just wanted to go on this adventure together. And so then uh, so then off you go, 6 a.m. the first day. Yeah. And let's just qualify. Um, are you plant-based? Are you vegan? Are you um, – what, what's your situation with regards to your diet? So I kind of approach my diet. I don't have any strict rules about it. However – uh, mostly I, on that, uh, you know, on the two months living on the, the, on the island, you know, and leading up to the race, I ate, my diet consisted of mainly beans, quinoa, brown rice, and fish and fruit. Gotcha. And how did that feel? Felt great. I, yeah, it was amazing. I, I never, uh, never felt tired, never, you know, never sluggish. Gotcha. Yeah. So are you, are you changing your diet now when you're home or, I mean, or, or are you just more aware or more conscientious with regards to how you felt and trying to mimic that? What, what are your parting thoughts with regards to the, the diet piece here? Well, you know, I've always had you know, my, my pantry stocked with superfoods and big on, uh, big on smoothies, which I wasn't able to do on the island. So, I'm, you know, just try to be sensible, eat a lot of uh, nutrient-dense foods, not, not a lot of processed food. But, you know, once in a while I'll have beer and pizza too, you know. Gotta yeah. keep it. Gotta keep that balance. <laughs> yeah. You're a pretty hardcore dude, anyway, based off of some of the pictures I've seen. So, yeah, you got to keep the uh, lifestyle going, there, my friend. I like that. Uh, it's, yeah. your, it's your personality, you know. And on a side note, a lot of people ask me if I'm plant based, or just because of my connection with Rich and stuff. And I will say this: I am. I'm a firm believer in the plant based diet, and. Um, but I do occasionally eat meat. And um, the important thing there for me, this is what works for me after many years of working through this as well, is plant-based, not plant-exclusive. So right. everything is founded in plants and um, fruits and vegetables and all that. But um, occasionally, I will sneak in a fair amount of meat. Um, not five days in a row, or I'll, you won't find me at a barbecue joint, but um, I will eat some chicken or have a, uh, a buffalo burger every now and then, things like that. But yeah, plant-based, not plant-exclusive. So, all right, yeah. back to your back to your race. Um, so first day, all good? First day, all good. It was, you know, and the first day was pretty tough because uh, because of the fact that we lost that, uh, those four miles in the trail, we had to go back and make it up on the beach, which where we started. And we had to do kind of a bit of a loop on the beach. And that was tough because who, who likes running on, you know, oh, sand? yeah. So, and the other, uh, yeah, it was good. It, it was a lot longer than I thought it would be. It just kept going and going. And, uh, I finished with just 20 minutes, uh, before the cutoff. Gosh, you have, you have four more days of this to go. You're not only barely making the cutoff, but you have to run a bunch on sand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you got the hardest part out of the way first because running on sand um, is – that's just brutal. Um, oh, especially so it's Hawaiian sand. It's not like we're talking packed California cold water sand. We're talking the 
the nice stuff. Yeah, so I would try to run as close to the water as possible where it was kind of a little more packed. But then I'd always have to kind of run out as the, you know, as the waves were coming in. As well as the incline, right? That's right. Yeah, you don't want to mess up your hips or your back on the on day one. So, so you make it in 20 minutes to spare. So walk us real quickly through the, um, the process of, so now you pack up quickly. So first some food and hydration in you, right? Because you just, so then you, you, you get that, what you quickly pack up or are you already packed up from the morning? I'm mostly packed up, but you know, I, 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 I strip down in my, uh, underwear, take a quick shower, you know, on the beach, uh, put up some fresh clothes, put on my vans get all my dirty stuff in the bag and then go, go, go. In it. And then we, we hit the airport and onto a plane onto the next Island. Gotcha. And so, um, what your boots on the ground on the next Island at about what, 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 what type of time logistics are we looking at? Yeah, usually around uh, five or six. Okay. So five or six. So that means you have time to have another meal, really focus on the refueling and replenishing. Yep. Um, and then you're in bed by, yeah, by nine o'clock, usually okay. nine, nine thirty. And so you're up at, uh, 3am though. So you're only getting about six hours of sleep a night. Yep, exactly. About six hours. Gotcha. Day two, you said was the hardest. You're now on Oahu mm-hmm. and, uh, a lot of altitude gain. So you get through that, but I remember your commentary there was, um, you still felt pretty good. I did. I woke up feeling pretty good. Wasn't too sore. Did some stretching, yeah, and I felt ready to go. Gotcha. And so that's finishing day two. So you you email me, um, and you're like, you know, things are got it done. Hardest day. Um, I'm telling you to focus on primarily on a checklist. We talked about preparing your checklist the day before, and this is important. I did that with Tommy, and I do it with all my multi-stage racing athletes that you have a very specific, in your case, repeatable, because you're doing the same thing every day, same sport, same activity, um, checklist that you know you're keeping your mental um, stress down because you have everything written out and you're just checking the box on all the things you need to get done, fueling, hydrating, body work, sleep, prep for tomorrow, shoes, blisters, whatever, um, you know, and how you want to be in bed and work backwards from that. And the better you're on that checklist, the more at ease you can go through those motions post that day. So how did that work? Well, it worked great because the crew was super helpful. So I would finish running and Heidi, uh, Heidi Nutrition, she was there. Uh, and she, I, uh, she supplied some, you know, shakes and some uh, a little elixir of uh, electrolytes. So I, I downed that. Then, you know, I pack all my stuff in my bag. We, they had foam rollers out, so I do some stretching, a little foam rolling, get in the van, go to the airport, grab some food at the airport. Then we would get, uh, we would get to the other island. And then before we got to our hotel, there was always a little trip to the grocery store. So we do that, get some nice grocery store, you know, food in, some good, healthy food. And then it was uh, off to the, you know, off to the hotel, a little TV, and then right to bed. Right on, right on. So, any uh, how eventful was day three and day four and day five? Day three was amazing. So that was probably one of my favorite days. That was in uh, Molokai, and um, we had a really good time. We really bonded as a group that day because, as I mentioned earlier, we we had gotten lost. Uh, one of the one of the turns we took was the wrong turn, and we kind of you know at the beginning 
we stick together. So when we took the turn, we kind of realized we, we might be lost. We're like, okay, let's all just kind of stick together. And it was, it was just amazing. Like yeah. the views on Island, the, the vast wilderness. And it was like the wild west. I, I loved it, but yeah. it was difficult towards the end of that day. Uh, I was a lot of uphill and it was super exposed, super hot. Yeah. And I was, the, that's the first time I started overheating. So I had to, you know, ice myself down and bit my, my head and just kind of, I had to lay in the shade for maybe a minute or two. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And so wait, Molokai is not even big enough to do a 50 K if I, if I'm not mistaken. So were you just crisscrossing the island and stuff? Um, <laughs> well, because we got lost, uh, <laughs> we kind of made our own little route. So we yeah. were, we ran all the way down this road and hit, you know, a dead end in this really bizarre complex. Uh, we, I don't know what, it was on a ranch of some sort. Well, then, you know the history of that island. <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah, so you got to be careful what ranches you're heading down into. You might <laughs> find people left over from those colonies not that long ago. There are still a couple patients on the island. We were actually supposed to run through that part, but they had a landslide a couple of weeks beforehand, so we had to reroute kind of last minute. Gotcha. But okay. yeah, no, it was it was pretty wild, but we all stuck together, and we actually heard some gunshots uh on our route i guess someone was uh hunting the axe uh, axes or something like that but yeah, uh, wow all right more dramatic you know yeah yeah well <laughs> you know that's the thing about hawaii people underestimate how much open space how much hunting how much ranching is actually happening there i mean the biggest um ranch in the united states by head of cattle and by space is on the big island hawaii um parker ranch so yeah, there's a lot of uh, a lot of cowboys over there still. Oh yeah, yeah, so, it's wild country. Yep, it sure is, and it sure is. Um, yeah, farming and uh, cattle and so forth. So day four, day four Maui. That was uh, I put together my best run that day. So that was the day that you told me I could kind of you know save, take it easy the first three days, and then kind of te- I could kind of test myself on day four and see see what happened. Yeah, <laughs> and and you did. I did, yeah. And you were loving uh, every minute of it. Oh, it was it was just amazing. And I thought it was gonna I thought I was gonna hate it because number one, I wasn't used to running in that type of uh, elevation. It was almost at ten thousand feet up. So we started, you know, we saw the sunrise all together, and then we we just ran down the mountain for the first uh, uh, I think the first forty kilometers of that day. Wait a moment. So you you started on the top of Haleakala. That's correct. Oh, wow, what an experience that is. That Always. is. And the sunrise on the top of Haleakala. What, that makes the trip worth it right there. Yeah, 100%. That was, it was just phenomenal. And that trail going down that mountain, was. I had so much fun. I could have yeah. ran that all day. It's <laughs> yeah. crazy. Yeah, and most people would, um, their quads would be shredded for the rest of the month after that. But you felt pretty good. That's awesome to hear. That's really yeah, awesome. I, well, I that's felt great. That's our work on the islands prior because you were you were doing a lot of up and down running. Um, well, you know, really, you know, really, the hardest part of the whole experience was when you uh, when you got me in the weights, uh, got me in the gym doing the weights, and then going running after that. Yeah, yeah. So prepared well. me really, really uh, well for this day. So we ran down, and then the last ten k were uh, three thousand feet up. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you know that's when the planners are just going. You know what? This was too easy today. 
let's yeah. let's let's try this here well that's great i mean it, it, again it keeps you guys honest it makes the accomplishment and the achievement of it so much more afterwards now looking back and being able to highlight that that's great that's really great yeah. I'm, I'm i'm that's amazing about haleakala and then you end on the big island uh yeah ended on the big island so the big island was uh that day was my kind of my least favorite run because it was a bizarre vibe that day we started on this highway and it was really busy trafficy uh the the people were a little bit grumpy. I don't know. People were like rolling down their windows and yelling at us. We're used to getting you know the shakas and the high fives or whatever. You know, yeah. really supportive atmosphere. But that day, were you in? Day, were you in Kona? Yes. Yeah. We well, well, there you go. Um, they have twenty five years, thirty years of triathletes on that island, and they're 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 tired of sharing the the real estate with um, swim bike runners. So uh, anything oh, that's associated with Iron Man in that respect, you're going to run into trouble. Oh, okay. That yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And there's also a, a totally different vibe on that island. Um, you know, you don't see the bumper stickers of keep the North Shore country anywhere on the Big Island. It's a different, um, yeah, it's a different vibe. It's, it's just um, a lot more um, uh, mainland pace especially outside of Kona, inside of Kona right. there. Yeah. So you uh-huh. ran the highway, you ran the Queen K. What was that, an out and back? Or well, Jesus, that's awful. It wasn't an out and back. It was It was just straight ahead until we hit Volcano. Oh, okay. I know exactly where that is. Yeah, all right. All right. Well, that's part of that the ultra. Made it worthwhile, though, once we got to the Volcano, uh, uh, just seeing that. Oh, yeah. I seen Volcano before, so yeah. that was something else. That's for sure. That well, that's straight out of Kona. So you went south and then up the volcano. So basically, the Ultraman um, World Championship course day one. Right. I did not. Yeah, yep. Yeah, that's what that is. So right on. Well, cool. And so now, how are you feeling? What's your What's your vibe afterwards? Uh, you were saying before we started recording that you feel great. I feel amazing. Yeah, and that you're you're already emailing me just like Tommy about what's next and what you should be doing and how we're getting ready for your hundred miler in August and yeah. <laughs> so um and what was my comment after you said you feel great? Um, I you know I don't recall. I think I think he said uh, to call you. Yeah, well, I said you should have run harder. Oh, I didn't see that. <laughs> no, I mean, just now on the call when we were saying you should... Oh, I should, okay, sorry. Yes, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, you said I should have run it harder. And apparently, yeah, you're right. Yeah, well, you just know how much is in you. Um, a lot of people underestimate that despite running slow and going slow for so often and doing so many miles, the speed and the effort and the, the grit and the, uh, the intensity is still there. It always is. It's just... We, it's somewhere in our body. It's not like people seem to think that you need to create this. In order to go fast, you got to run fast. And that's not how it works um, for our body. Um, and I don't want to simplify it as much as, well, a lion doesn't go from sleeping to running all out after doing intervals. Um, but there is a little bit of that. We have the capability in it. It's just that our signals in our mind um, aren't willing to accept the effort level of going faster 
and it's unfamiliar and they send all the central governor stuff to you to slow down because it's something that it no longer recognizes or is that familiar with and it wants to do things that it's familiar with so yeah you're ready to go i mean we can sign you up for the local uh, 10k now yeah i was thinking about uh i was thinking of running some 10ks actually just uh, in preparation for my marathon in uh in may right on i'm gonna try to do a three and a half right on well we'll we'll go through all that um offline and and discuss the strategy for that and get you going this week again on some workouts we do need to be careful like anybody after an ultra endurance event you feel physically sitting around and doing stuff great but once we start taxing the energy system the body and so forth you'll quickly um, run out of steam or the body will quickly disassociate itself with the exercise and you'll either lose motivation or just feel discombobulated not attached to it so we'll gently bring it back up and it's hard it's hard to let go you just ran 250 kilometers in you know five days you ran 150 some odd miles so um of course, you feel fit and you're ready to eat the entire refrigerator, refrigerator and its contents. My um, favorite part. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, I wouldn't say my favorite, but it's, it's a nice bonus. Yeah, it is. But you also, I mean, you, you, we also tend to overeat. And it, there's a lot going on in the body these days after. So try to be real smart and keep it clean and whole foods and things that your body can process. Because as you know, um, as of a certain point, you can't, despite your eating, you're just passing it through. So it's basically just the sensation and the process of eating. It's not like you're absorbing any nutrients. So, but yeah, yeah, we'll get you going. But I appreciate you on the um, podcast. Congratulations for that awesome adventure and endeavor you took on. Thank you. And uh, the, the, I mean, my final question would be, did you ever doubt you could do it? Um, during or beforehand? Well, both. Let's say both. Okay, so, well, before, you know, it's the unknown. So, yeah, I had a little bit of a doubt. A little bit. Like, there's a, you know, maybe something could happen and I might not be able to finish. But my mindset was just like, no matter what, you know, I'm going to finish this thing. Like, unless, you know, I blow my knee out or something like that. That happens. Other than that, I I was going to finish it whether, you know, if I had to crawl past the, uh, the finish. Yeah. And, uh, once the first day was over, or I guess in the middle of the second day, I'm like, yeah, I, I think I got this. <laughs> I think I got this. <laughs> now, let me tell you one thing, um, and this is for everybody listening, and, and that is the one thing I tell my athletes all the time is never, ever, ever say i got this (laughs) during Uh an event you Uh want to stay focused you want to stay um aware you want to have a little bit of fear you want to stay um really um in the moment and as soon as we start saying i got this you know the piano out of nowhere will come flying out of the sky and land on you um or that cloud that magical cloud in like the if the peanuts cartoon character is just going to literally appear above you so that leg cramper but you know what i mean to be honest with you i I did i felt confident but it was i did stay very present and in the moment and uh, i broke it down bit by bit i didn't really think too far ahead good 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 well i was i wasn't that confident (laughs) but i just felt really good about it good well i look forward to our next adventure please if you um like i say to everybody if you have a chance write um yourself a couple of notes and a journal of 
what this all meant. You will want to look back on it someday, 20, 30 years from now, and sitting in a rocking chair on your front porch somewhere and just going through this process and what you experienced and what you observed and even, even the weeks leading up to it, the adventure that you put yourself through as well as persevered, as well as achieved and you set your mind to something and did it and you did it in a healthy manner with the right perspective. All those things are super valuable and I'm proud of you and I look forward to more adventures with you like that. Likewise. Can't wait to get uh, the next one started. All right. Well, I will talk to you soon. Um, we'll get your training going. And from that standpoint, thanks for being on the podcast. And um, yeah, let's talk soon. Let's do it. I read this great quote today, and it goes something like this. How can you better embarrass yourself? Before you are able to be good at something and do something important, you must first suck at something and have no clue what you're doing. That's pretty obvious. And in order to suck at something and have no clue at what you're doing, you must embarrass yourself in some shape or form, often repeatedly. And most people try to avoid embarrassing themselves, namely because it sucks. Ergo, due to the transitive property of awesomeness, if you avoid anything that could potentially embarrass you, then you will never end up doing something that feels important. Yes, it seems that once again, it all comes back to vulnerability. I find that quote really cool and really interesting because it sort of ties into one of the things I've talked a lot about lately with regards to expanding what we believe is our potential. And in order to reach that, we want to avoid the pitfalls, avoid embarrassing ourselves. But that's where we learn the most. That's where we grow the most, right on the edge of that um, uncertainty or lack of knowledge or being uncomfortable. Most people try to avoid embarrassing themselves, namely because it sucks. Yes, it does suck. But when you kick out the other side and you've learned it for yourself, you've experienced it for yourself, you approach that new normal we've talked about. And that new normal continues that cycle of continually, continuously now expanding to the next border of what you thought is possible, as well as where that next level of embarrassment comes. Then you'll never end up doing something that feels important. Now, I would change that to then you will never end up doing something that feels awesome that feels like an amazing event, like something that feels like um, you've pushed the boundaries of your physical and mental limits. That's the fun. That's ultra endurance. That's why we put in the simulations and the long training days because we want to push the boundaries what we think is possible and doing something that feels awesome. The transitive property of awesomeness. That's a weird commentary or a weird set of words. That's a very specific term that this author uses a lot and type of verbiage that he uses a lot in this book I'm reading from him. Well, it's not really a book. It's sort of a 
pamphlet, multiple pages of thoughts and inputs. But he pulls it from the transitive property of equality, which is a type of math equation. And I won't go into that. But anyway, um, what it means is that if you're awesome in something that you don't realize you're awesome in, that you think is a bad quality, he actually describes that as an awesome quality. Anyway, he goes on to say, embrace embarrassment. Feeling foolish is part of the path to achieving something important. For us now, um, awesome. Something meaningful. The more a major life decision scares you, chances are the more you need to be doing it. And I'll change that to the more a major competition, adventure, expedition scares you, chances are the more you need to be doing it. Great things by their very nature are unique to you and unconventional to many others, right? When they look at what you're doing. Therefore, to achieve that, we must go against that herd mentality. And to do that is scary. But that's why you're listening to this. That's why you're training. You're taking on that big adventure. You're taking on that um, potential embarrassment. You're taking on that um, uncertainty. And you're curious to find out what's on the other side, to break on through to the other side. And that's ultra-endurance adventures and ultra-endurance mindset truly at its core. So think of it this way. Why not? Even the journey in preparing for something crazy is, in itself, awesome. And if you get to a point where that adventure just doesn't happen, But the prep and the training and the approach and the learning towards that adventure, I guarantee you will have been worth the entire process itself. I get emails from athletes quite often, whether they're interested in coaching or just in general their observations or what they're currently doing. And a lot of times I've noticed that their goal in the early years or early year of participating in triathlons or even an ultra endurance run is that they just want to um, finish the event or they just want to experience the event. And I have a pretty strong opinion about this because if you do the training right, and I'm not talking about a huge sacrifice, but more in regards to consistency, um, and you are phasing your training properly, by phasing I mean you know, building your foundation, um, integrating some speed work at the proper times, doing some simulations, as well as combining in some steady state running. Um, you know, not what I would call race pace, because for ultra endurance events, there is no real race pace that doesn't even seem faster, or is often a lot slower than your training pace. But where you're simulating um, the effort and the patience that you will need to do a six, seven, eight hour run by starting off super chill and super slow, that type of pacing and steady state work. Um, I often comment back to those emails or those people um, reaching out that your goal for your first event should still be specific. Um, Just participating in it or just experiencing in it is not usually enough to keep you motivated, right? 
What we want to do, whether you're an elite athlete, an Olympic caliber athlete, a world champion caliber athlete, a pro athlete, or just an athlete beginning, right? The mindset for all of you is the same. You know, the consistency, the commitment, the thoughtful process, all those things around the training and the preparation is what makes you an athlete. And you can be successful at your first event with that. But your willpower will run out if your goals aren't specific enough. If you don't have something in place where when the training gets difficult, when the weather gets difficult, when the monotony of the daily grind gets difficult, willpower will wane. And when the, the outcome is vague or the outcome is so open that you know you can get by by just training arbitrarily, then your result, your experience at that event will not be as effective as you like. And it won't be as appealing. It won't be as, um, for lack of a better description, life-altering, because that's what I look for for all of you, that a ultra-endurance event really has an impact on you, your lifestyle, your health, your mindset, your growth, your best self. And, excuse me, when you know you can finish it, and a lot of times in the training, what you'll find is that, yeah, I've done 80% of the distance, 75% of the distance, maybe even the full distance in training. Well, then now it's even harder because you know you'll finish the event. Um, So, Having just a vague outcome, experiencing it or participating in it is setting yourself up um, for a very much higher likelihood. I I don't want to guarantee it, but the likelihood is way higher that you will not um, train as diligently or as passionately or as committed as you can. And then we tend to push things off and... The experience is not only this, not the same, but exploring your personal potential, what I talk about so much on this podcast, as well as my whole coaching philosophy, is hard to achieve then because, you know, you know you're not putting your best effort, your best self, your most thoughtful process together, your most committed and disciplined training self together in order to have the best possible day. Now, if that's your first half Ironman, who says you can have a great first half Ironman or first 50K or first marathon? There's many athletes, many stories, many opportunities of people who did their first and loved it and felt great and had a really solid performance, if not a great performance. And... Just because you don't have a history in it, or you don't have experience in it, or you know, you're new to this training, doesn't mean you can't still have a great first day. And of course, there's those rare few gems that on their first day they, you know, have a phenomenal performance. And of course, we want to think and believe and hope and stay motivated that that might be us. Of course, you always want to surprise yourself. 
But my point is, is that it doesn't mean that your first ultra endurance event, your first endurance event can't be effective and with a solid specific goal in mind. It does take some research, does take a few times of understanding what we're doing with the distances and so forth. And you guys can all feel glad, um, feel very welcome to send me an email and, and go over those goals. I'm actually working on a document right now um, with regards to goals that I want to put up on my website, my new website in a couple of weeks, um, where you can just download that and pull that off. And it just, but it goes more into your passions on determining what your next goal would be. But in general, having a specific goal to keep you motivated, keep your willpower intact is a lot more helpful and um, has a higher likelihood of success than having a vague goal. Um, Participating in or experiencing the event is, in my opinion, not enough. And what I've also found is that most of the athletes that start with me over the years, I'm always saying, you'd be surprised, um, you're going to want to do that half Ironman or that marathon and then some, because you're going to be fit enough and prepared enough, not only for that half Ironman, but maybe more, not only for that marathon or 50k, but more. And maybe it's not that we go longer in distance, but that we do a few of them right? Because if we're going to do this, we're going to do it right. And the other thing that I would say is, and it somewhat ties into this topic, but what's really important, and I I hinted to this last time on the podcast, I think, and that is that you put systems in place, systems, checklists, processes, um, crutches, for lack of a better description, in place to overcome willpower. And as we're talking towards our goals, towards events, and how difficult it is to maintain that focus and that excitement and that joy every day, it's hard. It's absolutely hard. I have some great goals this year and some great events, but it's pouring rain outside. It's high 40s, low 50s. It's miserable. It's been raining for quite some time. Do I really want to go to the pool and swim outside right now in the cold rain? No. Do I really want to go for a run again and get soaking wet and cold for a couple of hours in this? No. Would I rather just, you know, make the excuse for myself? I say excuse because I'm talking about myself. Um, that, yep, yeah, I have a lot of work. I, I can just catch up on a bunch of it and um, do something easier today or something that keeps me warmer, maybe some strength work or some indoor cycling. And then, um, you know, move on with my training plan or desired outcomes for the week tomorrow. It's it's hard. All of it's hard. But systems and crutches and processes in place help me with that willpower and can help all of you. I've talked about having your workout gear in your car with you so that when you pass the gym on the way home and you pass that treadmill right there and you can get that workout done or that strength workout done, you have no excuse. It's right there. It's available to you. And it's also there before you get home, before you get comfortable, before you spend time with family, before you you know, crack that first beer, before you have a variety of other things to do around the house or whatever that is. 
systems in place include that pre-night checklist, right? Of laying things out, knowing what I'm going to do tomorrow, what my outcome is tomorrow. Systems in place include having a standing routine that every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, you swim part of a master's program to see people and be held accountable. Systems in place include that you have a running buddy that you meet every Friday morning, let's say, for a trail run. Systems in place include that you have a cycling class in place so that you're getting your high quality, high motivation, high intensity cycling workout in once a week so that when you are out on the road by yourself and motivation is running low, you're able to go easy and steady and just turn the brain off a little bit. Um, there's a, a, a thousand systems that you can put in place to overcome willpower. Good systems help you achieve your goals and then you sprinkle in willpower and then you sprinkle in the discipline needed. And what you'll find is you're much better set up for success and consistency, which is what ultra endurance is all about. It's all about consistency. And by being set up for that, you will be much more successful towards achieving your goals or achieving the desired outcomes that you've been working towards. You've already made a lot of sacrifice towards, so we don't want to drop off in, you know. And motivation, willpower, discipline, that's a interesting uh, play of words and psychology going on there, right? Many will argue that willpower will not get you anywhere because willpower does wane, right? Discipline, sure, discipline is great, but if you don't have the passion and the joy and the belief, then discipline will run out as well because although discipline is so internal and it sort of sets up routines and your mindset, it too can change priorities. So we want to keep all this at um, at arm's length, and uh, maybe not at arm's length, but we want to keep the, all those things juggling in the air, that we have some discipline, that we have some willpower, and that we have some focus and commitment towards our goals, but that we also set up a structure and a weekly repetition, as well as certain systems in place to all help um, you, us, me, towards achieving the goals that we've set up. Most of the time, the goals that all of you have set and um, I've set as well are way outside of or beyond or on the far fringes of the reality that we're familiar with. And I talked about that earlier. We want to be stretched. We want to be challenged. We want to have a good set of fear in there in order to have an effective goal, in order to keep us motivated, right? But if it's too difficult to achieve with just approaching it from a mindset standpoint, we definitely want to help ourselves with a structure, with a, a checklist, with systems to overcome all of that. 
And what so many of you know also, um, and by the way, you can hear the jacket I'm wearing in my house. <laughs> um, not that it's that cold in my house, but I'd rather be too warm when it's miserable, wet and rainy outside versus um, just on the edge of comfortable. But anyway, um, when we have those systems in place and when we're struggling through those uh, difficult se sessions and the grind, right? We also wanna keep in mind that the training plan and the ultra endurance process, for lack of a better description right now, is, and my coaching, I should say my coaching, the ultra endurance process and the training plan, the three of them, if you put them together into one sort of swirling ball of principle, the purpose there is that it not just challenges you physically, but it challenges you mentally. And so there's days when the sets and the intervals and the training challenges you physically. It's hard. And you might have a fresh mind and you have a, might have a fresh spirit and you might be highly motivated, but the challenge comes from a physical standpoint. Now, there'll be many days where the challenge, the daily challenge, because that's what good training is. There should be a daily challenge within you, within it, within you, within the process, within the training plan. The challenges on some of those days come mentally, right? And in some cases, also logistically. So what does that mean? Mentally challenging is that you need to, you feel okay, you have no excuse not to feel good, but you mentally need to engage, overcome, focus, go internal. Those are all things that will help us come the competition. And we talk about all those scenarios and many of those scenarios mainly here on the podcast on being ready mentally to turn that switch on. I speak of this a lot with my kids, and you can imagine what it's like to be, you know, a daughter or a son to a guy who's a coach 24 hours a day, um, about how if you want to be a competitor at anything, whether that's gymnastics, whether that's playing the flute, whether that's skateboarding, baseball in school, um, in career, in professional life, whatever it is, if you have trained yourself to be able to flip on a switch in your mind that allows you to get a lot more focused, to drown out the noise, to get focused on a single task, to hunker down, as I like to say, to get sort of tunnel vision, to be able to clear your mind and focus on the process in front of you, that's an incredible trait to have. And it takes training. We've talked about this on the podcast too, that it takes training to get your mind that focused, to turn that switch on. And that's one of the challenges in daily training, that when you have your window and there's days where your mind is scattered or your body is stressed and there's a lot of things going on, that you step in, you, you, know, you rip the suit off and have your Superman suit on underneath. You just went into the phone booth and you come flying out and now you're the athlete person. And you flipped 
the switch. That's great mental training for whenever you need it. When you walk into that conference room and you're about to put on a presentation or your feedback is going to be requested in this highly important meeting, you open that conference room door, boom, you flip on that switch, right? When you get to a competition or when you get to a hard training session, you walk through the doors of that facility or you clip in on your bike or you tie the shoelaces on your running shoes or whatever it is when you hit start on the stop on the stopwatch start on the stopwatch um, or anything like that those are triggers for the brain to turn on we are here we are now we are engaged we are focused and of course it takes a few minutes that's why we have warm-up and how many times do many of you feel awful in the first 10, 15, 20 minutes of warm-up? But once you get the blood flowing, once you get the brain engaged, once you shake off and release all the stress or other things that are engulfing you during the day, you're always surprised how good you feel. Not just after when you're done. But once you're going, you're like, how many times do I see comments in the workout log or training peaks where your commentary is, I didn't think I would be able to perform today, but after warm up, it was just there where I was able to execute despite feeling X. A good warm up is there for a reason. And you can't evaluate your process. You can't evaluate your training session by just going by the warm up. Our body's still upside down. It's still trying to get balanced and grounded for what it's doing. You just created differentiation and you just created turmoil and confusion as we went from one thing being a parent, getting the kids to school, drop off lunches, all those things right? A quick meeting with the teacher, um, getting home, cleaning up in the house from the mess that was just happening from kids out the door, right? Um, the dog might need to go out and blah, 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 but you're going already since 6am at 100 miles an hour. Now, it's 845. You, your kids are in school, you have a quiet moment. Everything's done. You haven't stopped really since, let's say 630am. And now you have an exercise window. Boom. Now you need to flip that switch, right? And again, that takes practice, but you'll get better and better at it. Now the flip, the switch is flipped. You're on and you want to engage. You're mentally excited. You're physically excited to train, but it's just not there yet. Give it the warm up. Give it the buffer zone. Give it those 10 to 15 minutes and do not hold yourself to those standards yet allow for the warm-up to happen that's why we call it a warm-up many of you wonder why i say warm-up easy and then zone two zone two is often easy and just as maybe even easier than warm-up but we still want the easy before zone two again to let our body get grounded recognize what it's doing where we are hold on we're training blood flow heart rate increase you know sweat going muscles loosening up it they need to exhale too just because you mentally are exhaling your body needs to exhale too it's going from completely different functions and speeds and um, focus to hey wait a moment we're doing physical activity we're spending time on ourselves right? And so that is all part of your ability to flip that switch on. 
And that's part of training. The challenge isn't always physical. Now, I said something earlier with regards to spiritual challenges. And that is, you know, we're not working on mentally turning the switch on. We're not working on physically the challenge of it. We're working on the more um, motivational, more internal, and the brain, what's going on there, not from a motivation standpoint or an execution standpoint, but when I say spiritual is how am I feeling? What am I hearing my body tell me, right? Like what we talked about earlier with regards to turning the, that data off and listening to your body. But also how am I feeling? How is my progress towards my goals? Let me take a bigger perspective on this. And who, uh, not who am I, um, but who am I today? And what I mean by that is as I'm running or as I'm cycling or as I'm swimming or as I'm rowing or as I'm doing yoga or as I'm doing strength or as I'm doing any variety of endurance activities and I find that steady state, um, it's the best time of day because it's a sort of a meditation for us. When you're in that training state, it, there's dopamine releases. You have a lot of things going in your favor. You're by yourself. You're able to focus inwards and on yourself. You're in tune with your physical self and your mental self. And now you have an opportunity to also evaluate yourself from an outside perspective. And that's what I call spiritual. If you see yourself running or see yourself swimming or see yourself cycling from 50 feet away yourself, who is that person and why am I doing this today and why does it feel so good and what are my commitments towards this and how can I be a better self? And I know I'm drifting a little bit off into a different space here, but again, I think it's an important exercise to practice and might not be every workout. Of course, it's not every workout. There's going to be workouts where we're running with friends or we're doing things with friends or we just don't have the space or the mindset to go a little bit outside of ourselves. But every now and then, and I'm pretty sure most of you know what I'm talking about, we have these, I wouldn't call them transformative um, training experiences, but they're definitely noteworthy where you just feel um, the bigger sense of everything around you. And you feel really appreciative and happy and connected to the things around you, not just to yourself, but to the surroundings around you. And you're grateful and you're appreciative and you're, you're thankful for your health and you start thinking outside of yourself towards your family, towards your career, towards your future. And that is what I'm talking about. Those times where we challenge ourselves spiritually. And what I'm saying there is that all helps us towards continuing to progress our fitness, our health, our mental strength, our ability to achieve a better self. It's not just health. It's just, just fitness. But it's your best self. And by being able to every now and then contemplate and embrace what's happening when those days are sort of a sensory overload like that of emotions and insights, go with it. 
think about it, make notes after it, um, journal it. It doesn't have to be a long journal entry, but something like a couple of thoughts or a couple of words or a couple of contemplations that came up that day, just write them down. Maybe you'll come back to it in a couple of weeks and read about it or look at it, but it is such valuable time. I love doing that. To give you a little insight into my, I'm, every day I basically have, uh, I have three journals on my um, you know, living room, sitting room, I call it, um, area. One's notes and thoughts and um, insights as well as um, uh, philosophies that I'm thinking of with regards to coaching. Things I read, quotes I read, uh, things I see, and book, you know, a podcast I listen to and stuff. Those go into that journal. The other one's a personal journal, things I'm grateful for, just the, the family, and not just grateful for family, but just working through a daily journal. And then lastly, there's a journal that just is a not a doodle pad, but it just captures randomness. And that randomness is oftentimes when I come back from a workout. What I felt, not in a journal aspect from the training, but more of, man, I had this really weird thought about this. Or I felt really connected about that. Or I was contemplating this. And if you look at that journal of mine, it is just random junk in there. There's, there's things in there that make zero sense. Zero sense. Even me looking back at it makes zero sense. But... I just like to empty the mind and put it onto something. And, you know, some days there's a lot of notes and thoughts and doodling and arrows and things around it. Other days, there's nothing. I don't even put anything in there. There's nothing. It skips a couple of days. And other times, there's just a random word or two, like my brother's name or, you know, my grandfather, why he did this. Or, you know, how come 10 years ago I felt like this or behaved like that towards somebody? Like, it's just random stuff. But they are all part of the bigger picture of challenges that we can embrace and we can face in our training. And what a good training plan, whether from a coach or not, um, should entail that we're able to understand those challenges and really work with them and get stronger from them because all of it will get compounded and be pushed into a tighter space come race day. Of course, there's physical challenges on race day. Of course, there's mental challenges on race day. And now imagine if there's also some bigger picture challenges um, on race day. You're going through a variety of adversity in your life. Can you compartmentalize and know confidently that you will get to those bigger topics, those bigger concerns or deeper thoughts on another day? Because you've addressed them on other days of your life or your training or in the recent weeks and months and been able to contemplate it, work through it, as well as even document it, you're much easier, um, much more easily able to compartmentalize for race day, the thing you've prepared for for quite some time. I have often heard from competitors at a world-class level even, 
whether in swimming, triathlon, or in, and beyond, that were affected and had way less than their potential performance on race day because they were bothered or overloaded or distracted by something bigger bothering them in their lives. And the reason I would like you to embrace that challenge, the third rail of challenge, is so that you can not um, miss an opportunity to put forth your best effort, your best potential day, your best result, your best experience, your best adventure, your best outcome, because of something that you would be able to usually push out of the way for 12 hours, 24 hours, 36 hours, whatever that be. Now, of course, there's circumstances and examples that are overloading for an event. I'm not talking about those. You guys know that there's differences between the two and what I'm trying to say. And so that's what good training plans, good prep, good focus, good challenging training also can become. That we're challenging ourselves on all three aspects of the body. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to this week of the Weekly Word podcast and episode 64. I hope you truly enjoyed it. A little bit of everything in there. I think we had some mindset work, an interview, the coaching practice, how it all works, some reading, some quotes, as well as some training approach and racing approaches. So, Thank you again for listening. I look forward to recording for next week. A variety of things lined up again. Um, there's so many topics and so much to discuss and then throw in all the feedback and ideas and inputs you're all giving me. And we will continue rolling down this path with the Weekly Word podcast and a weekly format and working towards episode 100. I have some... Uh, surprises down the road um, that I've been offered with regards to this podcast and some giveaways. So I look forward to discussing that in the next few weeks. But until then, have a great week of training. Have a great week of as we start moving into racing season. It's getting to be close to April. And that's when uh, this all starts going really fast with races and events and race prep and simulations and all the things we need to do in order to have the best possible ultra endurance events, adventures, races, and season ahead. All right. Thank you again and have a great week.